I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 14, Matthew chapter 14. Um, I can't tell you how excited I am uh, to teach this morning. Um, We were meeting on Wednesday morning with our programming team, which we normally do at that time, and uh, Doug led us in a reflection on this passage, and it's a passage that's very familiar before, uh, familiar to, to us, we've read before, um, but it was such a powerful, surprising time, we all together looked at each other and said, regardless of what we've planned before, I think this needs to be taught on on Sunday. And so together as a team, we said, yeah, 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 definitely, we need to steward what was happening uh, there Wednesday morning to do it Sunday morning here. So. We just sensed that it was a spirit thing, and so we absolutely believe that this needs to be shared. So uh, before we jump into Matthew 14, I want to give you a little background information, as we often do here. Uh, You know Israel, Israel, uh, where most of the New Testament uh, occurred, especially the Gospels. Um, Jesus, uh, in the northern part of Israel, remember Israel is about the size of the state of New Jersey, and in the northern part is the Sea of Galilee. I've got a couple pictures for you that I want to show you. Here's a map. Um, so at the bottom, the big body of water is the Dead Sea. You go uh, to the north there, you see the little Sea of Galilee there. Next picture. Um, it's actually not a sea, but a giant lake. This is Google Earth. You've probably seen this image before. 13 miles from north to south, eight and a half miles east to west at its widest point. Sometimes the Bible refers to it as this uh, Kinneret, Lake Kinneret. Hebrew word Kinneret means harp. Harp lake, looks shaped like a harp, right? And uh, what's interesting, next slide, is that it actually sits in a basin. So if you visit there today, you'll notice it's actually down in a bit of a bowl-like structure. And uh, so this is important for us to know in terms of this story. Uh, Two sides of the lake, you've heard us talk about this before. The eastern side of the lake is Greek culture. The western side of the lake is uh, Jewish culture. And the northwestern corner is where most of Jesus' miracles and life, where he grew up, where the disciples were from, in that. Now, because it sits in a basin, there's lots of weather uh, pattern uh, issues that happen. Very intense and severe. Next slide. Well, here's, here's some more in terms of the bowl shape, the basin shape in which it sits. So it's beautiful. You can take a boat ride out on it uh, today. Um, but there are weather patterns that exist there. There's something called inversion in terms of weather, where hot air and cold air meet. They're trying to change places. And what happens is lots of thunder and lightning and storms that occur in that inversion. In the midst of the inversion of air trying to switch, what happens is wind will whip across the top of the mountains, down in the basin, across the top, and back out. And so what happens, even though it's a lake, this whipping motion with inversion creates violent, intense storms. So this is actually from the Sea of Galilee, a storm that pops up, and they come in very quickly, they're very violent, and then they leave quickly too. This is very common even today. Um, In fact, a few years ago, there was a storm that was so intense, this is about five years ago, that over a five-day period of time, the lake rose by 12 inches. (laughs) I mean, think about how big that lake is, 13 miles by eight and a half miles, to raise 12 inches in five days. That's a lot of intense storm happening in the week. And this is important for us to understand as we look into our story. Now, there's a third uh, piece of background information I want to give you, and it's actually about Jewish superstition. Uh, Maybe you remember this from a few years ago, but the idea of water wasn't how we see it today. We go to the water, we go to the shore, we go to a lake, and we go, ah, this is great. But remember, the Jews were were a land people. Um, 
they were, they were desert nomads. They weren't sea peoples. And so they don't swim a lot for fun. They don't do it today even. And, uh, and the reason being is they, in the first century, they lived with fear because they believed that demons lived at the body, the bottom of bodies of water. Whether it was the ocean or whether it was the Sea of Galilee, scary stuff happened. And they believed that the demons were angry when a storm occurred, that they would come up from the abyss, from below, and that they would wreak havoc on humans. Now, it seems a little silly for us today, but it was the symbol of chaos and of hell and destruction, the abyss. Now, Jonah was tossed into the sea. Shipwrecks were common. The great beast or the dragon Leviathan, which we read about in the Bible, came from the sea. And so there was fear in that, a fearsome place of chaos and darkness, which makes a little more sense when you think about Mark chapter 5, the story of the demoniac with all the pigs, right? They asked, you know, my name is Legion. Jesus cast the demons into the pigs. And then what do the pigs do immediately? They run down into the water, right? Why is that? Mark is wanting to identify that the demons are returning to the abyss. They're actually going back to where they live, underwater. So there's this Jewish superstition. So with the idea of the background of the geography of the Sea of Galilee, the weather storms and the weather patterns, and then also the uh, this Jewish superstition of the abyss. I want you to keep those three things in mind as we read Matthew chapter 14, all right? We're going to read Matthew 14, 22 through 33. And I want you to keep those things in mind, and hopefully some lights will light up on your dashboard, okay? And then I want us to interact a little bit about this together. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. And Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand, and he caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, my guess is that many of you have heard this story before or read it at least once or maybe heard it taught on before. And you may be thinking, oh, yeah, it's the story of Peter walking on water. But I love the fact that just even this week, there were so many of those like, ah, moments some connections that were being made that I want to share with you, and you may have some more connections and want to teach me and us together in this too, because there's so much there. Okay, so right at the beginning, of course, we see the wind and the waves coming out in great force, right? We see the weather patterns, right? The inversion, the whipping down into the basin and back out. So it comes on intensely. And what's the first thing that Peter says when he sees Jesus out on the water? 
What does he yell out? Well, before that, it's a ghost. And you think, that's silly. What do you mean a ghost? What is this, like third grade? Come on. But why does that make sense? Because if in your mind, you believe that the demons live underneath this body of water, and when storms happen, the demons are angry, and you start seeing a shadowy figure come towards you, I would probably say that too. I would probably say that too. And he's thinking, oh no, we're in for it. Because if chaos and hell and destruction are what you think of in terms of the abyss and what it represents, and there's a crazy storm, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And then Jesus yells out to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Now, this is really interesting. Now, I'm not a language nerd, uh, but I happen to dig in a little bit more to see what it says here. This is really cool. This is the actual translation of how it's supposed to sound. Take courage, I am is here, don't be afraid. Take courage, I am is here, don't be afraid. Now, does that remind you of anything? <laughs> in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 3, right, the burning bush happens. God makes himself present, right? When, when Moses is called by God to go to peop the people, to go to Pharaoh to let the people go, Moses tries to give all the excuses. He said, I don't even know your name. Who do I even say that sent me? He said, tell them I am sent you. When you understand that and you're a Jew reading this passage and you know your heritage and you know Moses and saying, tell him I am sent you. When Jesus says, take courage, I am is here. Oh. Jesus is here to rescue us from hell and chaos and destruction because I am is here. And then Peter has this really interesting thing. If it's you, Lord, tell me to come to you on the, on the water. Now, when we were talking in our meeting on Wednesday, I was a, a little bit um, cynical, maybe skeptical is the right word. I said, like, if a ghost is evil, and it is a ghost, they say, if it's you, tell me to come. Why would the ghost not say, yeah, yeah, come? You come out of the boat and I'll destroy you. But for Peter, that was an amazing statement of faith. If it's you, you I'm a disciple of my rabbi, Jesus, and I want to do what he says. And if he says, come, even if I risk my life, I'm going to do it. That's Peter's question. That's, that's what he's wondering. If it's you, can I come? Tell me. If it's you, just tell me, and I'll come out there, and I'll make the risk. I think that's an amazing statement of faith. If I'm truly honest, I, sometimes I want to say, Lord, if it's truly you, you come to me, <laughs> so I don't have to get out. If it's truly you, do something here and stop all this. Peter does the opposite. If it's really you, Lord, call me out of what I'm used to into something scarier. And let's not overlook this. Peter actually walks 
on water. He did it. Truthfully, I think Peter gets a bad rap. Yes, he fell. Yes, Jesus rebuked his lack of faith. But Peter did it. He gets a bad rap. You know who should get a bad rap? The other 11. What are they doing? They're still in the boat. See, we throw Peter under the bus, under the boat here, don't we? When really the other 11, you do it. I'm not going. You go. You go. Now, I don't know for how long, and I don't know how many steps, but he did it. He did it. And despite failing, Peter did something that not even the greatest Old Testament prophets could ever do. And here's the other thing. You know, thinking about Israel's history, many people believe that what Matthew's trying to show us here is that by Peter walking on the water and the I am calling him out to walk on water was actually a way of reminding Israel of their past. What did Israel do? What did someone being rescued out of chaos and destruction and bondage, what did Israel do? Oh, yeah, they walked on dry ground through water into the promised land. They walked on dry land through the water of the Jordan River into the promised land. A lot of people are going, oh, 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 Peter is living out what the I am did in the Old Testament, and now Jesus is calling Peter to do the same thing, to go from bondage and destruction and lack of hope into rescue. And we were talking about, um, oh, and then it says, you know, as he's walking, verse 30, is that he saw the wind, which is an interesting phrase. So my skeptical side said, well, how do you see the wind? I mean, what does that mean? How do I see the wind? But I began to think that in my own life, what is like the wind that I see? Anything that distracts me from focusing on this I am that's calling me, I go, what about this? And what about that? Have I thought about this? And this is going to happen. Am I not seeing the wind in my life when I do that? And he begins to fall, right? And then he yells out, Lord, save me! This desperation, which seems like a lot of faith to me to exclaim that. That's a lot of faith to say, save me on that. And then in verse 31, when we were talking with our team, Aaron made a great point. Aaron said, she said, I love the word in verse 31 that starts like, says, and immediately... Jesus reached out his hand and caught him immediately. Right? So he steps out. Oh, you're lacking faith. I'm going to let you, you know, squirm and struggle for a while. But immediately, Jesus reached out and caught him. Verse 32, the wind died down. He got into the boat. Verse 33, it says, they worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. Now this story of the disciples and Jesus in a storm. Does this remind you of another similar story of Jesus and the disciples in a storm? How about the one in Mark chapter 8, just a few chapters to the left from this story? 
where Jesus and the disciples and a storm happened. In fact, uh, you can turn there if you want, but I'm going to just read it briefly, Matthew 8, 23 to 27. And I want to ask you, what are the similarities that you see between us? And I want you to respond. This is that weird side that Alfredo talked about, our church that responds and talks in the midst of the teaching, okay? So I want you to notice some of the, some of the parallels here, okay? Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. And suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the wave swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping, and the disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed, and they said, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. What do you see as some similarities between this story and then the story we're looking at in Matthew 14? Feel free to say it out. Don't overthink it. <laughs> there was a storm, okay? There's the first one. I'll give that one to you. They both had storms. All right, what else? Yeah. Great. They looked to him to resolve it. Sure. What else? Yes, they keep getting in the boat. Yeah, good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So is that similar or different than the Matthew 8 story? It's different, right? And we'll get to differences in a second. Yeah, someone else had a hand. Yeah, Mike, Michael. Huh. Right? They stop, right? Good. Great. What else? Yeah, Steve. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, right? Because I'm thinking, well, this one he's with, the other one he's not. But you're right, asleep. He's not really present with them um, relationally. Yeah, good, good. Yeah. Yeah, terribly frightened. If you spend your life on the water as fishermen, for you to be freaked out thinking you're going to die, that better be one heck of a storm. If you've never been on a boat and a storm comes up, you could freak out, people would understand. But when you're freaking out because, and you live on the water, that is one heck of a storm. Yeah, 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 Pat. Right, exactly. So you could think of Jesus rebuking the water as Jesus rebuking the demons. Good, good, good connection. Yeah, Cindy. Yeah, good. Good. He still has authority in every situation. That's great. How about some of the differences? What do you notice the differences? One of them, like, instead of joining them later, he's with them in Matthew 8, right? What else do we see? What are some differences? Well, similarity we missed is that he rebukes both of them, right? I mean, in both stories, right? Why didn't you trust what are their differences? Joel. 
Oh, yeah. Right, Joel cheated because he was at our meeting on Wednesday. So nice job, Joel. So, <laughs> Oh, you weren't there. You weren't there. You're right. I, I'm sorry. My, my apologies. I thought he was cheating. He's not cheating. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's huge. Well, Joel's just smart. So Joel's a smart guy. In Matthew 8, after everything has died down, what do they say? They're amazed. What kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. But in Matthew 14, what is their response? Not amazement, it's worship. And what are they worshiping? Not a man, but son of God. And what's interesting is this is the first time that the disciples use the reference Son of God of Jesus. Could it be that it took this storm twice to have them move from saying, wow, what an amazing man, to saying, he ain't just a man. We're dealing with something and someone different. Maybe they thought the first time was a fluke, but they said, no, 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 not twice. This guy is not just a guy. This is the Son of God. Moving from amazement to worship on that. That's huge. And I think it's amazing. This is the first time that the disciples acknowledge Jesus as deity. Now, I want us to think about this personally because there's a whole bunch of people in this room this morning. I know they're in different places emotionally and relationally and spiritually. So I want to just ask for a second, like, who are you in the story? Who do you relate to the most in the Matthew 14 story? Some of you say, I, man, I, I feel like Peter. Some of you say, man, I feel like the other 11 in the boat, scared out of my mind. Some of you say, I feel like I'm at the bottom of the lake. I'm just drowning right now. But who do you relate to the most in this story? Are you walking on water? Are you saying, Lord, just call me out? I don't know. Is that you? Are you sinking? Are you in the boat, not ready to try? I know that some of you, because I know your stories, you feel like you're sinking. And you're hurting. And in our meeting on Wednesday, Caleb shared with our team, he said just the last several weeks, he just felt super heavy, super weighed down by all the stuff in the news lately. It's just been a burden for him. He just felt like he's carried this with him from Las Vegas to Puerto Rico to Hurricane Harvey to Hurricane Harvey Weinstein to Me Too. It's just a heaviness. And he just needed that hope of being reminded that in the midst of the heaviness, I am is here and I am is rescuing. So where are you sinking? Why are you sinking? And in the midst of the fear or the loneliness or the uncertainty or the burden or the hurt, can you hear that voice of Jesus saying, take courage, I am is here. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He's rescuing us out of bondage and chaos and hell and destruction 
And I am is saying, I want to give you hope here. Jesus is our rescuer. He is our rescuer. Now, maybe some of you aren't saying, I'm not necessarily sinking, but maybe you're struggling with Jewish superstition of a different kind. Maybe you're living in some faulty, inaccurate thought patterns, a narrative that isn't true, a narrative that says something like this, God's mad at me, and I'm experiencing this pain because what I did two days ago. God's out to get me. This storm in my life is because God's angry and he wants to get back at me. And maybe you need some healing from improper thinking. A superstition, not Jewish superstition, but maybe Christian superstition. God's angry at you and you need to be afraid of him when instead he's a God who wants to show you his love as a gracious and compassionate father. And when we were studying this together and we were reflecting on this Wednesday, Mayor said, I sense that from this story, I'm hearing Jesus say to me, I've got you. I've got you. I am is here. I've got you. We're contrasting that I got, I've got you, Jesus really wanting to catch us, with the other Christian superstition that says, gotcha. You've done this? Gotcha. I'm going to nail you. I'm going to punish you. And so maybe we need to ask ourselves, is it gotcha or is it I've got you? Which is it for you? Or maybe some of you are actually beginning to realize more and more that Jesus isn't just some amazing man who does some cool things but that you're ready to worship him even more for who he is as the son of God. Instead of having your minds blown, it's time for us to say, you are someone who I'm learning more and more is more amazing as a son of God. And maybe for you, Ben brought this up in our meeting, maybe for you it's saying, I want to join Peter on this adventure of following the I am. Then I, I, am, I am sick of playing it safe in the boat. And I actually need to step out more. Lord, if it's you, if you want me to come, and he's saying come, that you're willing to say, I'm going to risk even more than I have before. I'm going to risk relationships. I'm going to risk my future, my present, finances, calling, my career, to join you even further. And some of you are ready to jump out and just say, call me, Lord. I'm going to step out of that and into what you want for me. And Jesus is that rescuer when we fall, but he also rescues us from other things, from faulty thinking and from boring lives. I think it's important for us to understand if Jesus is our rescuer, he's not our life enhancer or our improver. He's not our therapist or our self-help guru or our personal life coach. He's not an advice giver. He's not our spiritual accessory, not a personal good luck charm. He's not our religious ornament on the hood hood of our car of our life. He's not a co-pilot. He is our rescuer. 
He's our rescuer from sinking, our rescuer from religious superstition and faulty thinking. And he's our rescuer from comfortable, predictable, boring lives. The I am is here. And at the end of our time of discussing this in Matthew 14, Aaron said, you know, this reminds me of a song that's been running through my head, and we've been playing it as a family. And it's a newer song called Rescuer by Rend Collective. And she played it. And when she played it, it was just emotional for our team. Say, yes, this is what this story is about. Jesus as our rescuer calling us out from where we've been. And, and the only word that came to my mind, I've been listening to this several times this week since Aaron suggested it. And I, the word that keeps coming to mind is anthem. You know the thing about an anthem, right? National anthem, we stand. We're, we're showing reverence about our identity based on a story. And when I heard this, I was like, that's, like, this is an anthem. This is who God is. This is our identity. This is something that we together are caught up into our identity because of something we're pr proud of. We're revering. And it was just this anthem to just call it out, to sing it out together. And we thought it was so important to end the teaching this way, but we're going to play that song. Now, here's the deal. We feel like it's so important. And by the way, the chorus is super simple. It's easy to pick up. I, I want us to be able to hear this. And I just want to invite you at some point during the song to just stand up and sing it with us together. Because it is an anthem. We just don't want to sit. We want to stand and proclaim it. And so I just, we're going to do that. And then John's going to come up after that. And we're going to keep singing some more. But whenever you're comfortable and whenever you're ready, I just want to invite you to stand. We'll have the, the, the lyrics on the, on the screen and just sing out this anthem to God who is our rescuer, whether you need to be rescued because you're sinking, because you're thinking incorrectly, or because you're, you're just tired of living that comfortable, predictable life. Let's sing out that Jesus is our rescuer. So as it's playing, just stand when you want and belt it out and respond in this anthem together. It's pretty cool. He's our rescuer. He's our rescuer. We are free from sin forevermore. Oh, how sweet the sound. Oh, how grace abounds. We will praise the Lord, our rescuer. There is good news for the captive. Good news for the shame. There is good news for the world who walked away. There is good news for the doubter, the one religion failed. For the good Lord has come to seek and save. He's our
I'm ready.